So we have three Sundays today, and then so we have three Sundays, including today. We're going to have a chance to. I kind of want to sit back a little bit and discuss, you know, why why are we doing what we're doing? Now I, I try and figure out first of all what's the right picture for that. This one is pretty simple. Why are we here? I did see a little cartoon where I saw that picture and. The, one guy's asking the other, why are we here? And he's oh, to serve others. Why are others here? <laughs> to annoy us. Well, so I don't know. So, no, that's probably wasn't a good one. But um, so the, the, my, my goal is, <clears throat> is twofold, really, in, in the next three Sundays, really is to have a, a conversation about this. Today, I'm going to shoot a, a big picture of something, of course, that's, that I'm always passionate about because I, I, I live and breathe it, but is, is a church. What? How does family life fit into that picture, and why do we do family life? Some people call it Sunday school. Probably not a, a great – it's an old term, maybe not a, a great description of what we're doing. Uh, but why do we gather as, as a family life and, and cast out a bigger picture of, of the church? And then the second half of what we're doing each Sunday is hearing a, a testimony from someone. Basically, we've done this – it's been a long time since we've really done this, but get a chance to hear from some of you, get to know some of you better – some of you, we, we know we've been here for a while. We've heard, we've had your testimony here. Others, you're relatively new to this group, and we don't really know who you are. And this gives us a chance to really understand that. So, um, Mary Beth and Sam, or Sam and Mary Beth, are, are going to be sharing their testimony today. I've heard it before. It's um, super. There's two things. Whenever someone is new to, to the church or to a class like this, one of the, the um, Desires understanding God brought them here for what purpose? How how are they going to fit in the body? It's and that's one of the things that is constantly in my mind whenever I think of someone new uh, coming to to the body of Christ. And so having them here is a blessing, and uh, we're we're discovering that as we get to know them. So I want to invite you to go to to a foundational text in in Acts chapter two. So let's go there first and just cast a big picture. I'm going to take. I'm going to take roughly, my goal is to leave Sam 15, 20 minutes. 20 minutes is roughly the, the target. Sam is here, right? Yes. Right there. So that's roughly the goal. So the good thing is that if Sam sets the pace well for the others, and he'll, that's, that's him, so I'm counting on him being in ministry to set the pace well for the others who will follow. Um, yes. Mark, that's not, like you like it? <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody left a red Cadillac, with a, is it still running? No one's in it and it's sitting there running. <laughs> All right, so you heard the announcement. It's not mine, but yeah, you might want to go out there and shut it off. Especially with the price of gas these days, it's probably not a good idea to keep it running. <laughs> One thing about the, the arrival of the church, as a reminder, the, the arrival of the church was one given with great anticipation. When Christ announced the, the coming of the Spirit, when he first made the announcement to Peter in, in Matthew 16 that he'll build his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, Peter was going to be instrumental in that. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 2. He'd be the first one to stand before the eleven and proclaim and preach and do that. So we, we see the great anticipation of, <clears throat> of the church and then he announces, I mean, imagine the difficulty of the, of the disciples being in the presence of Christ and him saying, it's better for me to go so that the Spirit would come. So we're talking about there's, there was great anticipation for what's going to happen in Acts chapter 2. 
And in John 16, he said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I, I go away. For if I, didn't, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he goes on to elaborate, one, on the role of the Holy Spirit, and uh, one that's going to convict concerning the word, convict, of course, carrying the sin. Uh, one for the believers, he tells them, he says he tells the believers about the Spirit. He will guide you in all the truth. So we see this play out in the coming of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So there's, there's a great anticipation of what's going to happen in Acts chapter 2. And, of course, there's, um, there's a mystery behind it, and they're discovering that it unfolds. The church is something that was greatly anticipated, that was, was equipped and given the tools to do what God designed it to do. And there's such beauty in the church. And, I, of course, I'm somewhat biased to it because in terms of the role of the church, I was, I was raised in the church my parents in ministry, everything surrounded the church. I mean, our calendar was the church. We went on vacation only between church services. Uh, and, of course, there could be abuse and extremes of these things. I understand that. But by and large, going from there to going back into ministry and, and you live and breathe the church, that's that's part of, of that. But just understanding the, the great anticipation of the arrival of the Spirit and the gathering of believers, that's going to be part of that. So... In Acts chapter 2, the first few verses, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We know that's the picture of the Spirit coming, the wind coming, and uh, the Spirit coming and resting on each individual one. The contrast with that, if you go back in the Old Testament with Moses, the, symbolically, the presence of God is manifested by a pillar cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But now you have what? Individual indwelling of the Spirit. So there's this individual flame represented by this dwelling of the Spirit coming upon them. We know one of the manifestations of that is, is tongues. I put a few notes on that, but we're not going to sidetrack on the question of tongues here. But it's, as a context, tongues is only mentioned four times in Scripture. Four different places. First Corinthians twelve, thirteen, fourteen is one of those contexts. Uh, twice, and then the other three times in the Book of Acts. So there's there's a very specific context to that. But come now to Acts two, verse forty two to verse forty seven. I say that because church has has evolved into what it is today. Our understanding of what church means, our understanding of church worship, what it means. Uh, how corporate worship has come about and how we gather today is, is, I think, significantly different from what it was in the early days. Today we have a very, we have a spectator environment. We come, we assist, we, we listen, we worship, and we sing, and we, we listen, and we go home. And we, we came, and we have like a stadium seating where we sit there and observe everything and take it in. But that's, that's, that's so inadequate to really represent what the church is about. And this is where family life is going to come into some of that, is understanding why we have a family life dynamic and what the purpose of it is and why we, we've done that. So let me go back to verse 42, read these verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Now these things are things they devoted themselves to. Now, if you were to ask today, some people, you know, we, the, the, is, is, as, is as if the, the teaching is a culminating moment of everything else we do. That's not the way it's pictured. Now, of course, you have to have the foundational teaching that has to be anchored in truth, but it's not designed as, as they're all gathering to hear this great teaching and walk away. It's, it's part of a greater picture. 
And if we only absorb the issue, well, we're here to learn, so we're here to, to take a new lesson and then go home with that, it's, again, it, it really is woefully inadequate. Verse 43, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So briefly, I just wrote down six things that we see evidenced in the early church. We see it here a little bit later on in chapter 2 as well, and a little later on in chapter 4 as well. But I just put simply this. One, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means that the faithfulness of the teaching that had been given once and for all that's passed on down to them, the apostle teaching, which is we're also um, benefactor, we also benefit from that, of course, and we continue in the apostles' teaching. And that is the foundational truth, is, is the foundation you build upon. Two, they devote themselves to fellowship. I mean, they're devoted, they're committed to fellowship. Uh, and then f- fellowship, we could sit here and discuss what fellowship means. I think we have a broad understanding, but it's part of it is getting to know each other, getting to, to um, spend time with together. We obviously meet each other's needs, and all this will be displayed in the scripture understanding of, of the teachings on what it means to be one another and, and loving one another, serving one another in scripture. Number three, they're devoted to the breaking uh, of bread. Now, some say, well, this is like the Lord's Supper. Really, in his basic understanding is they shared a meal together and spent that time around breaking of bread. Now, that's one thing Baptists do well. We still break bread pretty well, so we didn't lose all these good traditions. Then they devoted themselves to prayer, to corporate prayer. Right? This is coming together and praying together, lifting our voices and our hearts together and sharing our needs and praying together. Uh, they, they were devoted to the gathering. A little bit later on, we see that where they uh, believe in the Lord, belief in Christ is what they had in common. They were devoted to the gathering. They did gather early on daily uh, and continued to gather faithfully. And then last one I put down, they, they, devoted, they were devoted to each other. Yeah, they were devoted to meeting each other's needs. The important part here is not is this a communistic uh, exchange of goods with all goods in common. There were a lot of believers who traveled to Jerusalem that were in need, and believers in the church, Jerusalem rallied to meet those needs. The point being here is that they were sensitive to each other's needs and met each other's needs. We see that a little bit later on with Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, where he says something to the same effect. In, in Acts 4, he says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. The point being is what? They realize now that we're no longer, we're, we're stewards of what we have. That's what changed their mind. It wasn't that, okay, this is, this is we're going to put all this in, in, in a common account uh, and, 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 and draw from that. It's the understanding that what I have is not my own, but I'm a steward of it. And in doing that, meeting each other's needs. So what should be evidence to us is that God equipped the church. There was great anticipation for the church, great excitement for the church. Now, all this is going to be demonstrated and manifested in the church coming together and serving each other. And I know I'm only scratching the surface here. This is barely scratching the surface of what the church is going to be. But family life 
is essential in that it, it is where truth comes to life. If, if all a believer does is come and attends a service and listens to a message and walks home, he is going to be woefully inadequate and the church is not being manifested in what is being accomplished there. Some would see family life, well, is family life in the equipping class is the, is the place to have another teaching. Teaching is part of what we're doing, but it's not the only thing of what we're doing. My, my, I'm telling you this, my, my desire and goal when you come here is not, well, can we get another 40-minute teaching here? Because you're going to walk towards the main service and get a 45-minute expository sermon anyway. But if you have that, and then you have another equipping class here, and I know some of you are wired different ways. Some of you are wired with, you don't, you come in here, take notes, and walk away, and not talk to anybody, and you'd be a happy person. I understand that. <laughs> Others come in here, and, you know, it's, 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 some of you come in here, and you talk, 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 and I'm like, you know, how do you shut that mouth so I can talk? You know, I mean, I, I get, I get, out, I get all that. I didn't look at you, Katie. I, I said, that's when you look, you look like this. I try to look like this. So I'm telling you, family life, the desire of family life. So yes, there'll be times, there'll be days where we take prayer requests. It might take five minutes. Other days, it might take 15 minutes. But this is where we need to know each other and need to learn to love each other and care for each other. And this is where it's going to happen. And so, yes, sometimes, well, you know, as long as I make it to the main service. Well, by doing that, we kind of work the idea that somehow that's the main event. And this is like uh, tailgating before the main event. (laughs) It's not. And so I want to encourage you this way. I'm going to show you a, a slide here in a minute. And really, in, in the scripture, it's really demonstrated by all the one another ministries. And I'm just going to give you a quick picture of that. But let me, let me say this in, on, on a personal level. Many times people ask, um, they ask us, about raising our kids, how we raise our kids. By the grace of God, our kids are not wacko, half wacko, but they're not all wacko. <laughs> but honestly, it's not, be- it's not because we spanked them well, because we were consistent, because we didn't yell, because we were so kind and we were so wise. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful the primary reason why our kids are like that today is because we live and breathe the church. We didn't attend church, we invested in church all of our lives. If I, get, if I were to give you a glimpse, if I were to give you a glimpse of things to come in, in 30 years, in 30 years, whenever Little League is over with, wherever SAT scores are not the big deal, all the other things that seem so important right now, what's going to be left is do my kids know the Lord and do they, know, and do they love the Lord? That's what's going to be left. All these other things that so consume our time today, and naturally so, are going to be left behind, and the only question left for you is do my kids know the Lord? Do they know God? <laughs> Do they love the Lord? And that's going to be demonstrated by their passions. Do they love his word? It's going to be demonstrated by their willingness to submit to the word. And do they love the people of God? Demonstrated by their desire to be amongst those who share the same passion and desire. That's what's going to be left in your heart and desire. So part of this one another ministry is, is that. So this is just a big picture, and we're going to come back on that. One another is one word in Greek. We're going to come back on this next week. Three areas. Just, just, just give you a, a big picture. Don't take a picture of this. We're going to come back to it. Here's all the one another's that refer to unity of the church. Here's all the one another's that demonstrate how to demonstrate love with one another in the church. Here's all the one another's that talk about demonstrating humility one towards another. Here's, here's another miscellaneous ones on one another. So the, tr- 
Scripture is continually pouring into how we are to engage and interact one with another. We're going to focus on a few of those in the next next two weeks. So, Mr. Sam, I know Sam, you're good. You've been in ministry, so you know how to do this well. Looking forward to hearing your testimony. Come on up, bud. I told him Mary Beth didn't have to come. We didn't have to put her on the spot. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. My name is Sam Snyder. <clears throat> My wife, Mary Beth, who didn't want to speak, so she <laughs> threw me up here, so I'll take care of it this morning. But if you want to get to know her, you can talk to her personally. Uh, but we are thankful to be here. Uh, we do have three children running around somewhere here in this building. I think hopefully downstairs in their Sunday school class, but I'm not quite sure. Um, and we've been here since July. And this morning I would just like to paint you a picture now, I'm not an artist, so I'm not going to do it physically, uh, but I want to paint you a, a word picture um, of my spiritual journey, of how the Lord led me along, and the little bit that I do know about pictures is that it takes many colors, right? You can't just paint a picture with all bright orange, yellow colors, or else it would be more abstract. It wouldn't have any kind of meaning. To make a picture in reality, think of a landscape or a sunset, and you want to capture that picture by paint, you have to have bright colors mixed with dark colors, right? And this morning, it's not my goal to paint a self-portrait, but I would like to paint a picture of what God has done in my life to display a picture of His grace. And in that, sometimes in our lives... God paints bright colors, good times. But other times, it's dark colors that he has to put in some strokes. But in the end, we may not understand it all, but in the end, we look back and we can see the picture of God's grace. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. As I talk some things of how God worked in my life personally, it's not to steal the light of his grace, because it's his grace that we can all sit around, that we all rejoice around as a church, we rally around God's grace in our lives. Because without God's grace, without Christ working in our hearts, where would we really be? And so that started when I was very young. I grew up in a, in a Christian home. My parents were part of a OPC church, an Orthodox Presbyterian church. And so I was go on Sundays, I would go to church with them. Um, but I went to, I attended a Christian school similar to, to TCS, and it was connected with a church, and the church was more of an independent Baptist, more of a fundamental Baptist background in the church, and so I was receiving two different kinds of teaching at the same time, and uh, so my dad would challenge me on certain areas theologically, uh, and then I would go to school, and I would hang around my friends. And those kind of things, and we would, I would get another kind of teaching. And so there was, these two kind of teachings were kind of going back and forth in my mind uh, the whole time. But as I was growing up, uh, my friends were very important to me, and I'm thankful by God's grace he put in great Christian friends that didn't pull me the wrong way but encouraged me uh, to follow God. Um, I went more in the direction of the independent Baptist in, in my schooling for, for undergrad and college and those kind of things. And so my, my, most of my background, theological training, has been in more of a, an independent, fundamental background. And so <clears throat> that's when I, we were, as I was growing in that, I went to, to an undergrad college 
was learning there, and I really felt that the Lord was leading me my steps into mission work. And I had a desire uh, to want to do that. Uh, but as I was growing in that, and as I was thinking through that, um, I went more of that independent Baptist route. But it started whenever I was actually in an independent Baptist church that I first was understanding some truths about God's word, about my sin, about a holy God, and I was beginning to hear the gospel. Um, and I, was, I prayed a prayer whenever I was six, so very young, uh, and I feel like that was sincere, but all through my high school years and, and, and even into my college years, I began to experience severe doubt, very, and it really worried me at times where I wouldn't be able to sleep, wouldn't be able to eat. I was just so concerned about this doubt because I would, have, I would hear testimonies of people who stood up and they would say, on this date, I, pray, I can take you to the place, I can take you to the, to the time, everything of when I was saved. And I was like, hmm, I can't really, can't really do that. And then I would hear people that maybe taught Sunday school for 50 years, and they would get up and say, really, I was never saved. And I thought, really? Their life, I mean, is, it seemed perfect. And here's my life, struggling along, trying to do what's right. And they're now saying, they're not saved. Well, maybe, maybe I'm not. And so I began to wrestle with that, and just didn't really have a clear understanding of God's grace. Um, and I felt like just, I was trying to transform myself. Uh, and so as I was reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13, I came across a verse that was talking about false apostles transforming themselves into the angel of light. And I felt like that's what I was doing. I felt like I was trans- trying to transform myself, trying to, to gain this assurance on my own behavior and my own performance. And I just really struggled with that. But then I realized that it's not about my performance. It's not about anything to do with me. It's about God's grace. And I began to understand more and more uh, through listening to expository preaching and hearing the Word of God on a consistent basis in that way. I began to understand more what God's grace really meant. And I began to, to grow in that. And I just remember the Lord just working in my heart. And there was just so, so much freedom in knowing that it wasn't based. My assurance and, and my salvation is not based on me. It's based on His Word and on Christ's work for, for me on my behalf as my substitute. And that just really freed me to be able to enjoy God and enjoy what He's doing in my life as opposed to trying to, to just earn His favor in, in, a, in a certain sense. I understood theologically I wasn't trying to have a works-based salvation, but in my assurance I was really trying to work it out on my own. And that, that Lord really rescued me from that, and I'm thankful for that. And He gave me peace that I could not, I, I couldn't obtain of myself, even though I tried very hard. Listening, maybe if I just listened to some more sermons, maybe if I just would go to church more, maybe if I would just witness more, go out and knock on some more doors, or those kind of things, I would, I would feel better. But none of that ever did. And the Lord just really began to give peace, not through those physical works, but through His working of grace in my heart when I understood what grace really was. So that. <clears throat> going forward, I went to, to Bible college when undergrad, and then we gra- I graduated in 2009. We were married in 2007, my wife and I, and I was married before I finished my undergrad, and she helped me finish my undergrad and helped correct some of my papers and those kind of things. Uh, and then um, we, so we were married in 2007, 2009 I graduated, and in 2009, 
nine, we went on a survey trip to Papua New Guinea, to another island called Kiribati, and just kind of we're figuring out where God would have for us. We both knew that we wanted to be involved in mission work, and so we were trying to figure out exactly where that was. And on that survey trip, the Lord led us to, to an island in the Pacific called Kiribati. Uh, Kiribati. It looks like Kiribati. Um, but, so we came back off of that survey trip, and we started raising our support on what we call deputation, going around different churches, presenting what we wanted to do. And certain churches, if they liked that, they would support us, and we would go on from there. <clears throat> so that, we started that in 2010, and then February 2012, we left for the field, uh, for the field of, of Kiribati, worked there for a while, and uh, we were working with another couple there starting a church. At that time, there was no gospel-preaching church at all in, on the whole island, and so we began to work there, uh, but through, not because we wanted to, uh, but through, again, through God's working and his providence and his sovereignty, he began to work and guide our steps away from the church there that we were helped started, uh, help getting started, and he led us to go to, to Papua New Guinea. And so we went to Papua New Guinea. Uh, we, ne- we didn't come back between Kiribati and Papua New Guinea. We went straight to Papua New Guinea uh, with, what, with the suitcases that we had. And then w- when we were in Papua New Guinea, it's a very, very remote place. I don't know if you're familiar with Papua New Guinea at all. You might, have, you might know some missionaries there. Uh, but we were in the Gulf province of Papua New Guinea, not in the highlands, but we were in the mountains. And so there was no road to get to us. And so we would fly on a small little missionary aviation plane uh, through SIL or Whitcliffe Bible Translators. They have a wing of aviation that we would hire them uh, to take us into our grass airstrip. Very, 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 very small uh, grass airstrip cut out on the side of a mountain and just enough runway to be able to get stopped most of the time. Uh, Some of the time I wondered if we were going to get stopped sliding in the mud, uh, but we did stop every time I was in the plane which I was thankful for. Uh, So then we would land on that grass airstrip, and then we would hike five miles up over the mountain to get to our place um, in where the mission was, where we had a church. We also, there were some other missionaries that were there working as well, and we also had a medical clinic as well. And my wife worked in the medical clinic. Uh, She is a nurse, and so she was able to work through that and use that as a tool uh, to be able to reach out to people that were hurting and the people that needed to, to have medicine, uh, she's focused mostly on uh, prenatal care, helping moms and the babies and all those kind of things. And uh, a couple times had to deliver a few babies. Um, I had nothing involved except for I sometimes would hold the light and look the other way. And hopefully a grandmother or somebody would come and hold that light for me and I could go somewhere else. Uh, but she, did, she loved to do that. Um, and it was just a great ministry. People came from <clears throat> miles and miles, days of walking to get to our medical clinic, and we were able to share the gospel uh, with people. That, that was my job, so I would kind of report to some of the ones that came to visit our medical clinic. I would go back to where they were staying in their, in their homes or in the homes of other people, and we would just visit and ask them, how are you doing, those kind of things, and share the gospel with them. Um, also, the work that I was doing there was more of a discipleship, Growth, trying to, to start other churches out of our church to develop more of a younger men in leadership and trying to train them, send them out into other places that were even more remote than us. Because they, all of our guys said we're not very remote because we have access to an airstrip. There you can walk for days in Papua New Guinea and not see any kind of a road or an airstrip or anything. 
And so very hard for a family to live in those kind of places. So my idea was to kind of train men and try to send them out to those places uh, and to start different churches. So that was what we were doing. And then you say, why are you here? Why aren't you still there? Uh, well, it wasn't our choice again. Uh, it was the leading of, of God and his working providentially. We started to, to feel like the, and those of you that were involved in missions might understand this a little bit better. But we began, began to feel that we were, they were relying on us too much, uh, really unhealthy. Uh, they were trying to like, oh, the white guy, he has connections to America. Let's go get to know him. And they would rely on us for certain things. And they would really be able to pretend really well that they were very spiritual. But really, a lot of times they were just trying to have some kind of connection to the outside world. Because, again, it's very, very remote, very hard to get out of that place on their own. And so we began to feel like I was more of a hindrance than a help in certain ways. Maybe just because of my skin color was throwing them off where they couldn't really understand. They couldn't hear the words I would say. They were, they were hearing other things, uh, just things I couldn't change. And so we began to feel that, that we were praying, Lord, what, would you have us move to another place? What do you want us to do? Um, and then it wasn't long after that, then there was a big fight that was taking place. Uh, on our mission property uh, for the land that the mission property was built on. So that we have five different landowners, and they started attacking some of our church people, and the, the attack was mostly on our national pastor's family. I mean, he had, the, the landowner had 12 different sons. Not all of them are still living, and they began to attack the family of our pastor. Our pastor had some young daughters. One of the girls was raped. Um, it's just a, a terrible situation. Um, and then they began, because of that, began to fight with bush knives in our front yard. Um, and we were just wondering when it was going to start coming towards us. It never did. Uh, they came towards us trying to demand money, uh, the compensation, even though we already paid them for the land. They wanted more and those kind of things. And so we were just wondering what to do. So I contacted the chopper pilot with SIL. Uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators Division, and that was on Saturday night. And uh, he's like, well, if you can promise me that they can tell you the chopper will be safe, we'll be there in the morning. And uh, so I went and talked to the, some of the leaders. I said, hey, we need to talk about some of these things with some of our mission leaders out of here. I need to talk to them in person. Will you allow the chopper to land? And they said yes. And so I called the chopper pilot back and said, they said that you can land. And they landed at 7.30 on Sunday morning. He told me on Saturday, roughly around 5 or 6 o'clock on Saturday night, they landed at 7.30 on Sunday morning. That's the last that we saw of our place uh, there in, in Papua New Guinea. We flew out on the chopper, uh, landed at SIL's headquarters. We waited a month there to see if we could get back in, and the fighting just got worse. And so they, they even said, the national pastor, other leaders of the church said, we don't think it's healthy for you to come back. And so now we're figuring out, what do we do next? Where do we go from here? And so we were trying to, should I go to another place? Should I, what should we do? Asking the Lord. And then I, I remembered something. A couple of years ago, I was involved in ACBC, uh, the counseling program that's connected here to the church. And I was on furlough, actually, and I was already involved in ACBC. I was doing the reading. I was involved in it, and I was looking for a counseling center uh, to be able to get certified. 
And so I, I began to Google counseling centers for ACBC near Stanton, Virginia, because that's where my wife is from. And Timberlake's website popped up. And I began to search through the website, and I saw a familiar face. I saw Nathan's face. Because on deputation many years ago, I saw him as a, a youth pastor in Tennessee. And we, get, we hit it off, and we were there only there for a couple of days, I think. And just hit it off. I was like, yeah, this guy's different. And we began to talk about different things. In a good way, in a good way. Because I'm different, and I was think differently. And he's like, hey, we, we think the same in some ways. And so that was kind of a neat connection. And I kind of lost touch with him. And then we came back on furlough, and he ended up coming up to Stanton, Virginia to see us. And he helped us with a, a, one of our videos, update videos. And he was pastoring in this area at the time. And then we went back to the field again and lost touch with him. And then I saw his face on the, the Timberlake's website. And I said, what? What's going on? So I, I think I sent him an email. saying, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? And he told us what, we were, what he was doing and all that kind of stuff. And then that brought back again the, the looking at the website. And I saw TES and I heard from him about TES. And then whenever all this came up and I was just praying and asking God to, to show us where he wants us to go, the Timberlake website just kind of came back to my memory. And I thought that might be a a good option to try to figure out because we would go to a new location. We would go to another country, wherever the Lord wanted us to go. But the problem was some of our, uh, my theological uh, understanding of God's grace began to change. And I was having a harder and harder time um, signing the doctrinal statement of our mission. And so theologically changing. And so I was like, I don't really want to hide. I don't really want to just go somewhere just to go somewhere. And so we ended up resigning from the mission and came here, moved here in July, and the rest of you know, we've been here. And uh, so we were just trying to figure out exactly uh, where we would go from here, and that's where we're at now, is just figuring that out. But I think it was on, on our first Sunday, or maybe our second Sunday, we were sitting over in that room, just kind of sitting off by ourselves, trying to figure everything out and trying to just look around, and Brother Mark Jake, Jacobson came to me sat down next to me, and he's like, hey, what's your name? My name's Mark, and all this kind of things, and we began to talk, and I began to say, well, I was a missionary, and he's like, hey, I was a missionary too, and I was like, oh, really, and we began to talk more, and I was like, well, thank you, Lord, for, for sending somebody that understood where I was, because I felt really out of place, it's all new, not sure where I'm going, really wanted to be where I was, but I couldn't be, and so we we're just trying to figure all those things out, and here God sent another missionary that was in some similar situations, uh, coming off the field and those kind of things. And I was just thankful that the Lord led in that way. And as I look back on it, it's not my choice. It's not what I really want. But I can look back and say that God is painting a beautiful picture of grace and working in that in my life. And so that's what we're trusting in. And again, sometimes it's the dark strokes. Sometimes it's the bright strokes. But when it's finished, it does make sense. And as I can see, I can't see the future, I can see behind me, I can see God's working that work of grace in my life. I want to leave you with this one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's a very familiar verse, uh, but just wanted to recall that theme of Grace. When we're feeling weak, it's God's grace that does sustain us in the long run. So I'm looking forward uh, to be able to get to know you all better uh, as we talk about God's grace together, as we grow together, 
and as we see God's working and as he paints the picture of grace in each one of our lives. But thank you. Thank you.